I mean, I was told by my film professor, there are films and there are movies. And sometimes you've got to know what you're walking into. Yeah. See, but I come from a time when movies were films. I've never really been the kind of guy to have a New Year's resolution, but if I had one for 2024, it would be to watch 365 movies. I've been making pretty good pacing and pretty good tracking with that goal. I've watched about 27 films in January. I came here today to tell you everything that I watched and just some quick thoughts on the film, if it's good, if it's bad, if you should stay away from it, or if you should go towards it. I'll try not to make this one too long for you so you can get out of here relatively quickly. If you want to follow along or just track everything that I watched throughout the entire year, then my letterbox is linked down below in the show notes so you can check that out. And until then, I'll stop on my yapping and start off with the first one we watched on January 1st. I like to start off every single year with a strong movie, something that, you know, really sets the tone for the entire month and the entire year. In 2023, I started out with Raging Bull from Martin Scorsese, and this year it felt no different. I had to start off with something that was at least a four and a half out of five. And for this year, I started off with Old Boy from Park Chan-wook, one of the greatest thrillers of all time. I'm really happy that I avoided that twist ending the entire time I was awaiting to watch this film, and it's really just absolutely incredible. There's a reason Old Boy is considered one of the best films ever made, and if you were ever considering checking it out, then let me just tell you, it's absolutely worth your time. Next up, another film that was on my watch list for a long time. I watched Gran Turismo from 2023. I've been really awaiting watching this. I remember seeing the trailers all the time in theaters. I was really annoyed by that trailer, but then I got a chance to watch it, and it's really bad, but really, really cool. It's a very fun, delicious garbage level of a film that I can really watch for hours on end. It's just bad because it's a story that I've seen before. It's very predictable. It's very cheesy, very corny, but that's what makes it good. Really, the characters, the story, the themes are all delivered so beautifully. I think if I was about 12 years old watching Gran Turismo, then I would really just fall in love with the idea of racing and just drop everything to try to become an F1 race car driver. After that, I watched The Farewell, a pretty underrated film from A24. I'm trying to tap into more of their just lesser known films in their catalog. And The Farewell is pretty cool. We don't really see Aquafina get a lot of just heavy drama acting chops like this one. So it's fun to see her in a role like this. And I wish she really tapped into more roles like her role in The Farewell. I was always surprised by just how good Aquafina was in this role. And she should definitely just, I think, pivot to more films like that. I understand that Aquafina is known more for being a, you know, a very annoying comedic actor. But, you know, this something like this is, I think, better for her. After that, I needed more of a quick film to watch, so I decided to throw on Star Wars, The Clone Wars. And I love Clone Wars, and a Clone Wars movie is really, really cool. But with this film, it's a early seasons Clone Wars movie. It's more of a pilot to Star Wars, The Clone Wars. And it's just not very good at all. I really love Clone Wars. Starting at like season three or four, that's when it starts getting really good. Those early seasons are just them trying to figure out what this is supposed to be. It had never really been done before. And, you know, this really shows that they weren't really sure how to handle this story or these characters. because They were really pulling from really nothing. So Star Wars The Clone Wars, pretty mid. I'm really sad about that. After that, I decided to hop into School of Rock from Richard Linklater, one of my favorite directors right now. It's just because of the Before Trilogy and also Days and Confused and now School of Rock. He has one of the best filmographies of all time. In reality, School of Rock should be a very generic film that you can really predict the entire runtime. And you can predict a lot of the story beats here. But I think the way that Richard Linklater constructs the story and also just directs his films is what makes School of Rock so good. If School of Rock was directed by anyone else besides Richard Linklater, this film would not be good whatsoever. I'm happy he stepped into this film because it's absolutely incredible. 
After School of Rock, I wanted to keep watching films I'd never seen before, so I decided to hop into a film that I was really wanting to experience for a very long time, Cinema Paradiso. It's every film bro's favorite movie, and it's definitely one of my favorite films. It's just so beautiful, so well-crafted. If you've seen it, you know, and if you've heard about this film at all, then you know that it's really good. This film is perfect in every way. After Cinema Paradiso, I hopped into Maestro, directed by Bradley Cooper. I've really been trying to hop in some more of these Oscar movies. There's a few that I've missed that I really need to tap into. Maestro was one of them. At the time of me watching Maestro, it hadn't yet been a nomination for an Academy Award, but I just knew it was coming. Everyone knew it was coming. He was a frontrunner for a director and also Best Actor. He picked up Best Actor. In my opinion, Maestro is trying to be that movie, and it's just not in any means. I hate to be disrespectful to Bradley Cooper. It's clearly his passion project. He has a lot of love for this film and for this person. But Maestro, for me, wasn't hidden for me. It's really sad. After my show, I figured it couldn't get any worse than my show, and also wanted to hop back into more of a Jack Black movie because of School of Rock, so I decided to hop into The Holiday, finally for the first time, and this is really one of my favorite rom-coms of all time. The Holiday is very cheesy, very corny, very reminiscent of that early 2000s romance film era that we had, really the golden age of the romance genre, and The Holiday is really cool. Is it exactly good? No, but I really love it. It has a place in my heart, and it's beautifully scored by Hans Zimmer. That's the best part about it. After watching The Holiday, beautifully scored by Hans Zimmer, I hopped into another film that was really highly anticipated by me for a pretty long time, but I just never really got a chance to dive into it. I dive into Good Boys. It's a comedy produced by Seth Rogen. Overall, it's pretty good, but I feel like a lot of comedies, no matter how you look at it, it feels like every single one of them is trying to be like all of the old, just golden age 2000 comedies that we've seen before. And Good Boys is really good, and I don't want to throw trash at it in any way, but it's really inevitable for any comedy or teen comedy that releases today to be compared to Superbad. It's like if any space movie comes out, it's going to be compared to Interstellar by Christopher Nolan. No knocking to the current film that came out, but just what came before it was done better. So I'm kind of thinking about how good Superbad was, not how good Good Boys was. No shade to this film. It's really good. I really enjoy these characters. Has a really good story and really solid themes, but no shade to Good Boys. But I'd rather watch a movie like Superbad than Good Boys on any given day. Maybe it's just me, but who knows. After Good Boys, I was really in the mood for a good romance film. And, you know, I had watched a couple earlier in the month. You know, The Holiday was fine, but it wasn't really a, you know, really incredible romance film. But Call Me By Your Name was a rewatch for me that I was really desperately in need to rewatch this film because it's just so good. I picked up on so many more little details that added so much more to the story. Call Me By Your Name is just incredibly well-crafted, not only as a romance, but just as a good film and as a good drama. It's really good. I knew it was really good before, but after rewatch, it's just one of my favorites of all time. It always has been, but now it just got that extra level of just love and appreciation from me. So after Call Me By Your Name, I was like, okay, we have one good romance film. Why stop here? Let's keep this train rolling. I watched Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, and... You know, as much as I would love to say this movie just is absolutely trash, and it is by all means, Mamma Mia is just, I think, one of just the highest and greatest achievements in all of film. It feels weird to say, but as much as I want to hate on this movie, it has every right to be hated on. I really can't hate on this franchise. Mamma Mia is just peak fiction and peak film, and this film I rated it like three and a half out of five stars, but in my heart, it's a 20 out of five stars. 
after Mamma Mia, here we go again. The best sequel ever, even over the two towers. I had to tap into the B-movie. This is more of a filler watch for me today. Really noticed as I was watching the B-movie how much I've watched this movie, and it's really concerning. I was almost saying every single line, word for word, bar for bar. The B-movie is very interesting because on paper, the B-movie should be a masterpiece. It's literally a Seinfeld episode, but animated with Seinfeld being a B. What can go wrong? Clearly everything. It's really sad. After the B-movie, I hop into one of my favorite films of all time, Manchester by the Sea. This is one of my favorite films of all time, and I already knew this movie was really good going into it, but after I rewatched it, I just had a newfound love and appreciation for Manchester by the Sea. It's always been a 5 out of 5 for me, but just watching it and picking up on little details and how this character thinks and how he just interacts with the world, and just little pieces of dialogue that are just kind of thrown out there, I just found so much more just love that I have for this film and just detail that, you know, it just makes it one of the best of all time for me and that will never really change. So after Manchester by the Sea, I tapped into Landscape with the Invisible Hand. This is a film that I was really looking forward to last year. The premise looked really, really cool. It's about kids who fall in love and they decide to stream their romance to aliens who have taken over the world. And that is just kind of how they make a lot of money. It's really cool, a really weird and interesting and intriguing plot. So I was really excited to tap into this one, but when I was watching the movie, that main plot that the film really just advertises gets kind of pushed to the side, and what's left is just a kind of poor adaptation and really just a poorly way of executing the story that's really, really cool. After Landscape with the Invisible Hand, I had to really cleanse my palate from a not-so-good film, so I decided to tap into Licorice Pizza from Paul Thomas Anderson. Whenever you hear Paul Thomas Anderson being mentioned, you only hear about movies like There Will Be Blood and nothing else really. Licorice Pizza, in my opinion, is Paul Thomas Anderson's best film, one of the best romances from the last 20 years, and I believe this film is very highly underrated and very underappreciated. You would definitely love it if you got into it. I don't even know exactly what I love so much about Licorice Pizza. It's just really good, and I just can't find anything else really like it, so I will always be a diehard for this film. After Licorice Pizza, I tapped into Tick Tick Boom from Lin-Manuel Miranda, and just like Mamma Mia, I can try as hard as I can to hate on musicals, but I just really can never not enjoy a good musical movie. Tick Tick Boom, really solid directorial debut from him, number one, and number two, Andrew Garfield was robbed of an Oscar because he just absolutely kills every single scene he is in. This film is just very well structured, very well executed, and it's very apparent to me why so many people love this film besides weird theater kids. And after Tick Tick Boom, we tapped into Yesterday, a film with a very cool plot of what if the Beatles never existed and only you remembered them. On paper, Yesterday is one of the coolest sounding films ever, but in reality, this is just one of the most poorly executed films and outlandish plots I've ever seen in my entire life. Yesterday is really dumb because it's almost like asking, what if Christopher Nolan never existed and only you remembered about Christopher Nolan? It's kind of cool because it's like, oh wow, nice, Christopher Nolan doesn't exist, now I can finally make Oppenheimer and Tenet. Yeah, sure, 100%, now give me a copy of American Prometheus, put me in front of a IMAX camera, and then just let me cook. It's just not going to happen. In addition to a very just outlandish plot, this movie is just kind of just poorly executed for me, doesn't do a good job at telling the story it's telling, and I want it to be good, but it's not. After yesterday, I hopped into Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 3, one of my favorite films since 2023, and I wanted to see, can this film hold up after all of the hype? And yes, it absolutely does. Guardians 3 is just so good. It's the only film that I watched this year that has made me cry, and I don't think that will change for a long time. Guardians 3 is just incredible, masterful, and beautiful, and I can never get enough of it. 
After Guardians 3, I was still in a little bit of a romance binge for some reason. I tapped into a lot of this genre this month, and the next entry into that was All the Bright Places on Netflix. This movie is laughably terrible and just absolutely hot garbage. I don't have much else to say about it besides that. The only good thing about this film, Lamar Johnson is in this movie. He's a really underrated actor right now, pretty underground. The only thing he was really in that was really big was Last of Us from last year, and he was really good in that show for the like one or two episodes he was in. Besides that, All the Bright Places, avoid it at all costs, or watch All the Bright Places to know how not to make a movie. After All the Bright Places, I'm continuing on with my just romance binge in January. I watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire. This movie is very highly and critically acclaimed, and I've been wanting to tap into it for like over a year now. I finally did, and I love it, but I'm not sure why. I need like two or three more watches of Orchard of a Lady on Fire to really understand this movie and just really appreciate it more. That's just how I am with a lot of movies. I'll watch them one time. I'll know they're good, but I just don't know quite why. Eventually, maybe, you know, next month or the next month after, I'll tap back into this film and understand why it's so good. After Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I tapped into Theater Camp from last year, a film that I really wanted to see but never got a chance to. This film is really funny and really cool and really good, yet also just not too good for a lot of different reasons. The film is kind of anticlimactic, doesn't really go deep as I want it to, and, you know, I can just live without it, but it's still really cool and really good. After Theater Camp, Rye Lane was just one of the most underrated films from last year from what I've heard, and they're absolutely right. Rye Lane on Hulu, one of the coolest romance films I've seen and definitely one of the coolest films from last year. It's almost like Richard Linklater before Trilogy and just a mix of Family Guy cutaways. It's really as cool and as chaotic as it sounds, and that's what makes it so good. It's really cool because of its characters and its themes and its story, and also paying homage to all of the romance films that came before it, and just what resulted is just an absolute treat that you should definitely tap into. After Rylane, I tapped into Triple Frontier on Netflix. This movie is pretty much Ghost Recon Wildlands, the movie Ghost Recon Wildlands from like 2017, 2016, one of my favorite video games of all time, and on paper, a movie that's one of my favorite video games of all time should be one of the best films i watched this month, but the answer is no. Triple Frontier it stars Oscar Isaac and Ben Affleck, some other great actors as well. This movie kind of gets lost in its plot. The first, like, 20 to 30 minutes it's kind of cool i see what they're going for it's almost like a little bit of like a heist movie then after that it just kind of drops all that i see where the movie's going i understand its themes and it's just main objective but that just kind of results in this movie not being too well executed it's really frustrating because when a film gets lost in its plot it's just really annoying to have to go through this movie it's almost like having to do a chore instead of actually enjoying a film I'm not trying to just see what happens at the end of the movie. I'm just trying to get to the end of the movie and watch something else. After Triple Frontier, I needed to really tap into a good trilogy of films. One of the most critically acclaimed trilogy of films ever made. Not Lord of the Rings or The Dark Knight. Something even better, Diary of Wimpy Kid. Diary of Wimpy Kid really just kind of molded the way I grew up and my entire life as a whole. He is literally me. I am Greg Heffley. I am not Logan. I am Greg Heffley. This trilogy overall, really cool, really solid. It's really impressive how they made all these films back-to-back. To back. That feels like it kind of affected the narrative and the story a little bit. There's a little bit of inconsistency across this trilogy. As much as Roger Rules is ruled as the best film in this trilogy, I think the first film will just always stand as the best throughout all of these movies. And the last one, Dog Days, 
not too good. I'm really disappointed by it. Once again, gets lost in its plot. It's almost like an hour and a half, but it feels like it's three and a half hours. This entire Diary of Wimpy Kid trilogy is just really good. I wouldn't be here without these movies or the books, respectively. I am just patiently awaiting a fourth Diary of Wimpy Kid trilogy. I'm not talking about anything else like The Long Haul or that weird animated show that Disney is doing right now. A true reignition of this beautiful franchise with a fourth installment of the true trilogy with my true Roderick. After I watched the greatest trilogy ever made, I decided to tap into a little bit of just artsy art house stuff. So I tapped into Inside Lewin Davis from the Coen Brothers, one of the most overlooked films ever made and one of the most overlooked films in the Coen Brothers collection. Once again, just like Paul Thomas Anderson, when you say the Coen Brothers, you are clearly met with a lot of love for No Country for Old Men. And by all means, No Country for Old Men on paper and objectively is their best movie that they've done together. But Inside Lewin Davis is just a different level of just complexity and beauty. Also, Oscar Isaac gives one of his best performances, if not his best performance in his entire career. If you've never tapped into this film, it's on the Criterion channel. I recommend you watch that before anything else. And after Inside Lewin Davis, this entire month, I had been really craving a good Ryan Gosling movie, and I just was just very just anxious. I was really just scratching myself, looked like a crackhead, waiting to tap back into a little bit of literally me cinema. And I decided to tap into all good things featuring Ryan Gosling, this movie is not it whatsoever. It's really trying to be like a Zodiac or a Facebook movie or like a Gone Girl film, but it's just really mediocre and poorly executed, does not even do this film justice. It's just god-awful. And in terms of the Ryan Gosling-ness of this Ryan Gosling movie, Ryan is kind of weird. I mean, he's always weird, but in this movie, he's just kind of weird and intimidating he dresses up as a girl in one point in the film. He didn't even need to dress up as a woman. He just kind of chose to, which, I mean, I'm still just trying to wrap my head around the fact that you dress up as a woman for no reason. But whatever. It's Ryan Gosling. He's literally me. A bad Ryan Gosling movie is still a perfect Ryan Gosling movie. And for my last watch of the month, I tapped into Pig, sorry, Nicolas Cage. Pig is just one of his best movies. I know all the National Treasure films are just masterpieces, but Pig is truly something special. What is Pig, you may be asking. If you've ever seen Ratatouille, now add in John Wick, now add in Nicolas Cage. That's what this film is. It's just really good, really emotional, really heartfelt, and you will love it from start to finish. So that's everything that I watched this month for the month of January. My two highest rated films for this month was Cinema Paradiso and also Manchester by the Sea. Both those films, respectively, are just absolutely perfect. But everything else I watched in January was also just really good and some other films you should definitely check out. You can find all those films on my letterbox link in the show notes. I also watched some other short films I just didn't get a chance to mention. The Christopher Nolan short film I watched, one of those from his early days of directing. Really, really cool. And in addition to that, I also watched the TED TV show. It's one of my favorite shows of the entire year. I know it's only February, but TED is just truly one of my favorite shows of 2024 that most likely won't change for a long time. If you happen to love this episode, leave us some love in those reviews. Follow us everywhere. Follow me on Letterboxd. Stay tuned for every single episode by turning on those notifications. And I'm Rio Slogan, and I'll see you in the movie. Shine.